Praise the Lord. How's it sound? Awesome. We'll move forward. Let's all stand. I'm going to figure out what to do with the other hand now. <laughs> Let's all go to the Lord in prayer. It's so good to be in the house of God this morning. I believe that He has something in store for us. I believe we're here for a reason. I do not believe in coincidence. I don't believe in, in uh, circumstances happening willy-nilly. God organizes, God orchestrates things for His purposes, according to His design. And if we will give ourselves to that plan, if we will submit ourselves to the plan of God in our lives, that will work toward our good. Direct us according to His perfect will for our very best. Amen. As we continue to do that, God's plan unfolds in our lives miraculously. Amen. Let's go to Him in prayer. Let's ask Him to bless His service, that His will would be accomplished here today. Lord Jesus, You are an awesome God. You are a mighty, wondrous, glorious Savior. We turn to You, Lord Jesus, for help and for hope and for strength and for leading and for guiding, for our daily salvation, for whatever it is we have need of today. You are our answer. You are the answer to our needs, our problems, this world's situations. Everything going on today, you are the answer. We turn to you, thou most high God. Minister in this place miraculously. Minister graciously and compassionately according to our needs. According to your perfect will for us. We are a needy people this morning. We are a desperate people seeking the face of our God. Help us today, I pray. Minister according to our needs according to your perfect will, and all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We're going to be talking this morning about the God of life. We understand, we'll talk a little bit more about the science behind life, because it's fascinating and I believe relevant to our topic today, that life is absolutely impossible, naturally. Life just cannot exist, and I will demonstrate why. And yet, it does. It does exist. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for it existing, even naturally. That way. I'm going to start with this verse, this passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Well, it's cut in and out, isn't it? progress. Amen. I don't know what I'd do without him. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Keep adjusting me as you need to. Starting with verse 15. See, I have set before thee good and death and evil. And thee this day to love And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. If we continue to have issues, I'll just pick up the mic. That's fine. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, 
that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave up and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Amen. There is, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know which, there seems to be two different messages in here, and hopefully the Lord's going to tie them together somehow. In this, this day and age that we live in today, there, is, there are all kinds of spirits present. There are all kinds of spirits affecting us as, as generations, as peoples, as cultures. One of the things I've noticed in our society, and this is going over the past 10, 15 or so years, is this idea of uh, casualness. This idea of, you know, in my dad's generation, when he was growing up as a child, he was taught that adults were referred to as Mr. and Mrs. Last Name. You would never dare call someone by their first name as a child. You just wouldn't do it. You'd get beat. Uh, literally. <laughs> you get taken back behind the woodshed and, and you would learn. You would, you would learn the right way to, to approach things. But today, it's like people don't want that. I hear, th I hear uh, expressions like, you know, you call someone Mr. So, Mr., I thought you were talking about my dad. <clears throat> you can just call me John. And uh, in churches, you know, it's, it's vogue, I guess, to, to say Pastor John, Pastor Tim, uh, you know, Pastor First Name. It's uh, this, this casualness. And uh, when, we approach, when we approach anything that used to be a little bit more formal, uh, it's okay now to, to come to those in jeans and a t-shirt. Um, whatever you're going to. You're going to, to a restaurant. You're going to a nice restaurant. It used to be. People would dress up nice and go to a nice restaurant and enjoy a, a dinner. But now, you can dress however you want. And people do dress however they want. And I, I'm not commenting on the morality of, of going to a restaurant in, in jeans and a t-shirt. My point is that when we start approaching spiritual things, when we start approaching the presence of God, when we start approaching topics like salvation... This things as well. And we start making light of very serious situations. There is, a, there is an idea, especially, I've noticed it a little bit in my generation growing up. Uh, movie shows. Wouldn't recommend. But, growing up, I used to watch this stuff. And even then, uh, the stuff my parents used to watch, it, it approached certain topics seriously. It approached certain uh, discussions seriously. Today, every... ...about... And especially when we start talking about salvation, we start talking about life and death. If you don't choose God, you're going to die. You're going to die eternally. I can't think of a more serious topic than salvation. But people will make... It's not a good... They'll... Uh... They'll just sweep it under the rug with a joke, a smile, a smirk, and move on with their lives. But the Lord would have us to understand here this morning that this is a most serious topic. The most serious topic. 
life and death. Life and death. Choose. Is this is this being is this distracting? Okay. <clears throat> when we understand what's at stake, our eternal destinies. When we understand the seriousness, the gravity of that. He has instructed them the entire way from Egypt to this present moment in Deuteronomy 30. Moses is nearing the end. He's getting ready to to walk off the scene, retire, go home. I'll bet he I'll bet in a lot of ways he's looking forward to it. <clears throat> but he continues to warn Israel. He continues to warn the people that he's ministered to these 40 years. Choose life. This is serious. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it for granted. This topic is approaching you right now. You still to life. Avail yourself, but take it. Still can. Because only God can give life. There is only life in Jesus Christ. There is no life anywhere else. We see in the natural. Now let me take a step back. Chapter 2, verses 24 says, Loose the pains of possible that he should be holding of it. It was literally impossible except by his choice for him to die. He laid his life down by choice. There was anyone life. He is the embodiment of perfect life. Wherever he goes, he speaks life. He creates life. There's no death in him. All source of life originates from him. We see in the Garden of Eden when he created Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. We understand in biology, I'm going to go into the weeds just a little bit here, but we're going to come up for air. We've, we've talked about this before, so it's kind of review. You guys would be good. Amino acids. The building block of life, okay? Everyone has heard of amino acids. There's essential amino acids that we need to eat and to survive, that we can't produce ourselves. Uh, They make proteins. We need all kinds of proteins for body, body functions to exist. In any case, amino acids, when you create them in a laboratory, when you see them just uh, separate by themselves, you see a 50-50 split of what they call left-handed amino acids and right-handed amino acids. Okay? That's not life. That's how they organize themselves naturally. It's impossible for them to combine and form life. We see in every living organism that every amino acid is all right-handed. Every single amino acid in our bodies is all right-handed. It's not a 50-50 split. It's a 100% right-handed. As soon as that living organism dies, though, the amino acids very quickly shift, and they become a split of 50-50. Isn't that interesting? That's death. Life cannot organize naturally. It's not supposed to. You look at the science... This is impossible. But we exist. And we exist because God spoke us into existence. He created us. And He infused us with His life. 
because only He can. That's in the natural. John 10 and 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now what kind of life are we talking about here? Certainly, physical life, because that cannot exist without Him. Unless He speaks life into us, they're not going to organize properly. It's impossible for us to live outside of Jesus Christ in the natural. And it's also impossible for us to live spiritually outside of Jesus Christ. We cannot. Now you can argue all you want about, well, there is no spiritual. It's just what I can see and taste and touch. That's all that exists. Well, that would be convenient. That would make things a little bit more simple, I suppose, as far as that worldview goes. But it's not true. And I, I don't have time this morning to get into why it's not true. But we could, go, we could go hours into that. The way creation is organized. Information. Kinds of information. That's not physical. How do you, how do you explain a numerical system? Yeah, I can build a number two out of a block of wood, and that's physical. But how do you... <laughs> I'm awake. <laughs> How do you explain the idea of two-ness, though? That there's two of something. That, that kind of information is not physical. It's not something I can taste or touch or see. And yet it exists in the DNA molecule. There exists volumes, literal books of information in one molecule. Where did that come from? How does that organize? There is more to this existence than the physical reality. There is a spiritual existence. And you can deny it all day long. You have that luxury. You have that right as a human being. You don't have to acknowledge but it's still there. When we talk about spiritual existence, the spiritual life, the spiritual existence that we're, we're referring to is the thing that is truly real. It is the thing that truly exists. And if you deny it or don't deny it, you're going to see it come to pass. I promise you, you will see it come to pass. That it does. That God is real. And He sits now as our Savior. Judge. The direction the world is heading in right now cannot be allowed into the church. It cannot be allowed to influence us. It cannot be allowed to direct us or lead us or have any kind of input into our decisions. We live for the Lord Jesus Christ. As a church, now as an individual, that's, that's up to you. That's between you and God. If I could make that decision for everybody, I would. I sure would. But I can't. You've got to make that decision yourself. 
I will continue to warn. There are others here that will continue to warn. Only Jesus can give life. Only Jesus can sustain life. There's an account in the book of Ezekiel. Some of you probably already know where I'm going. Chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. So we're not talking about someone that had died a few hours ago. We're talking about someone who had died maybe centuries ago. And they were completely gone, rotted away, their bones bleached, dusty, dry. There's nothing left. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. I have no idea. If you want him to, yeah. Again he said unto me, Prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried. And our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and you shall live and I shall place you in your own land. And shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Now a lot of us have heard this account many times, preached many different ways. Probably not going to add anything to those. They were dead. In the account... We see a, a physical representation of things that are going on spiritually. The nation of Israel had backslidden. They were dead spiritually. They had broken covenant with their God and walked away and served idols and not the one true God. But even in the midst of that, God sent His prophet to prophesy unto them that they were going to be resurrected spiritually. They were going to be restored. That these dead bones were going to live again. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. Whether you're dead physically or dead spiritually, God can resurrect you. And only God can. He's the only one that can do that for us.
We look for solutions. We look for answers everywhere else. We look for solutions to problems everywhere else. We look to our own strength, our own talents, and our own abilities. Again, it's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot more convenient if I can just take care of it myself. I'm a guy. I don't want to ask for directions. I don't. I've learned to, but I still don't want to. I'd just rather be able to take care of it myself and not bother someone else with my problems. That's what I tell myself. It's pride. John 15 and 5 says this, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Unless we abide in him, we cannot exist. We cannot exist naturally. We cannot exist spiritually. It is by the grace of God that we are here today. It is by his mercy and his compassion that we're still breathing today. He sustains our life continually. He doesn't owe us anything. If He wants to take me today, that's His prerogative. If He wants to wait a hundred years, that's His prerogative. If He wants to and He tarries, He could cause me to live for 300 years. That's his prerogative. But I cannot exist outside of him. And we need to acknowledge that. That he sustains our lives. Both naturally and spiritually. In our scripture text, God equates life with goodness. And death with evil. And then he proceeds to give us the secret to life. Obedience. Obey me and live. There's a commandment he gave the nation of Israel in a parallel. Exodus 20 and 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which God giveth thee. Obedience is the key to long life. Submission to the will of God, submission to His precepts and His judgments and His testimonies is the key to life. The life that God speaks of in John 10.10. Do people live naturally outside of the will of God? Of course they do. That is the grace and goodness of God. The mercy of God. That God continues to let the wicked live. Giving them a space to repent. But the life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10 can only come through obedience. Submission to the will of God. God also lets us know the result of disobedience that we will perish quickly from off the land. Life is so much more than a continuation of my existence on earth. I can live to 150 years old, probably, if they hook me up to a respirator. My brain functions are gone, but my body will stay alive. Is that living? I don't think it's living. So what is life? What is living? 
quite a bit more than that. And I've spoken with people, I've read biographies of people who have been raging successes in the world, but didn't live for God, denied the existence of God, hated anything having to do with God. And at the end of their lives, they're miserable, they're lonely. They can't trust anyone because they've stepped on everyone's back getting up to where they're at now. They've sacrificed everything else to make this happen, and they did. They got what they were looking for. But they found all kinds of things out as well. They're not happy, there's no joy. They have no friends. They have no loved ones. If they do, they can't trust them. I'm not saying this is going to be true for everyone. I'm sure there are exceptions. But the vast majority is exactly like that. It's exactly like that. And they look back on their lives with regret. They have all the money, all the success in the world, and no one to share it with. No one to enjoy the fruits of their labor with them. They're going to pass it on to children who are just waiting for the old man to croak so I can get a hold of the money. And they know that. They know that. There's no love for him or her in their children. They're just waiting for the money. That's not living. That's not the life Jesus wants for us. Can life exist apart from riches? Absolutely. Absolutely it can. Can life exist apart from fame and fortune and worldly success? Of course. Of course it can. They can coincide. But that's not the life we're seeking. That's not the life that we're pursuing. If God blesses us, fantastic. Fantastic. But I'm pursuing something greater. I'm pursuing something that's going to last for all eternity. That's the kind of life I'm seeking. That's the kind of life everyone is seeking. Everyone. They think they'll find it in business success. They think they'll find it in having the ability to go out with any woman they want. Having money, fame. Because that's how the world presents it. Did you know the world system is not looking out for you? Really? That's a shock to some people. The world system is not looking out for your best interest. It is seeking to destroy you. It is seeking to lead you away from a relationship with God. Everything out there is designed from the ground up. You can't salvage it because it's built into the system. There's no salvaging what's out there. We can get a good president in that will pass good laws until we get another bad one in however you define good and bad. <clears throat> we can change culture, but not from within the system. We change culture by winning them to the Lord and creating a new culture, the kingdom of God. That's how we do it. There's no salvaging what's out there. It's built, it's designed from the ground up to lead you away from Jesus Christ. To do everything it can to distract, to tempt, to uh, keep your attention focused on anything else other than God. That's what it's designed to do. And...
I know we have proponents of the public school system here, and I'm going to say this before I say other things. There are good people in the public school system. There are great people who are, who are wanting to educate, who are wanting to, to help our children to grow up into good citizens. We can't deny that. But what I'm saying is, again, the public school system as an as a organization, as a structure, it's designed from the ground up not to educate but to indoctrinate. The origins of the public school system go all the way back to Martin Luther. Maybe before that. But his express intent was not to educate. It was to indoctrinate people into the Christian religion. A good motive in and of itself, perhaps. But it was never designed to educate. Education takes place. And I believe because of the good people that exist in there who are wanting to educate. Education is so important. We need to be educated. <clears throat> but what's going on in the public school system today is not education. By and large. By and large. And it's just going to get worse. Because again, the system out there is not designed to instill spirituality into us. Us away. It's designed to lead us to death, to destroy, to kill. That's what it's designed to do. So, why would we want anything to do with that system? I'm not talking about the public school system right now, I'm talking about the world system. <clears throat> I would to God we could salvage the public school system. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, it, was, it still had the same design, but the people who were in charge used it for better things. Now they're using it to indoctrinate into Marxism, atheism, humanism, and it's destroying our youth. It's gotten into the universities. I read an article here recently that I don't think they've implemented it but they're talking about it implementing a system part of the application process is you're going to have to sit in front of a computer monitor and look at some inclusion classes some tolerance classes and there will be algorithms there will be a camera focused on your face looking for signs of contempt scanning you for signs of unbelief Isn't that interesting? Ten years ago, this was all science fiction. George Orwell, 1984. Today, it's looking like reality. It's looking like it's coming. Outside of Jesus Christ, we perish. We perish quickly. Once we're fully informed of both sides, he makes us aware of both sides and he doesn't pull punches, he doesn't exaggerate, he doesn't downplay. He just lets us know the way it is. He doesn't have to exaggerate and he's not interested in downplaying. He lets us know both sides. This is what happens when you choose life. This is what happens when you choose death. Now decide. You decide. And it's a weighty choice, folks. It's a grave, serious choice to make. Consider the temporal consequences of this one decision. Just the temporal. It will affect our entire lives. It will affect who we marry if you make the decision early enough. It will affect the quality of our married life. It will affect the experiences we expose ourselves to. If I'm in church, if I'm living for God, there are things I'm not going to do. There are places I'm not going to frequent. 
If I decide that's not for me, I'm going to live my own life, I'm probably going to frequent those, those places. Because why not? And that's going to expose me to things, to situations and experiences that God would rather I not be exposed to. And later on, probably I would rather I wasn't exposed to. It will affect the lives of our children. And their children, should the Lord tarry. That's just the temporal consequences. How about the eternal consequences? It's everlasting life or eternal damnation. There's no third option. There's no purgatory. There's no uh, resting place, waiting for judgment, waiting to work something off, make a deal with God. There's two choices. If there were a third option, if he'd given us a third option, I'd give it to you. But it's not up to me, folks. And it's not up to you. God gives us two choices. Have a care. Take careful consideration as to how you decide to answer this one question. It is truly life and death that God presents to us. Some of us, I pray most of us, have already made this decision. A few of us have not. God's stated desire is that we all choose life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whomsoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's why He came. That's why He hung on a cross and suffered and died. Laid His life down willingly. And when the price was paid, He took it back up. And what does it mean to believe? Believe what? If we look at the account of the first Passover in the book of Exodus, we see a pretty good example of people who believed the word of the Lord and people who did not believe the word of the Lord. The death angel's coming. Get ready. Oh yeah, I believe it. I believe that's going to happen. But then they don't kill a lamb. They don't apply any blood. Did they believe? Could they have possibly believed? I believe he spoke the words. Yeah, I believe that he said that. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. It's unto obedience, obedient faith. That's what's being referred to here. Those that believed the word of the Lord killed a lamb. They put the blood over the, the doorpost and the lintel. They ate the, they ate the Passover supper in accordance with the instructions that God gave them. And then the death angel passed over. The death angel didn't pass over because, yeah, I believe he, I believe God said that. Fantastic. Now here he comes. That's not belief. That's not faith. Faith is demonstrated by our obedience. Obedience leads to life. Not mental assent, not an intellectual nod of the head, but obedience. We are to demonstrate our belief in God's stated plan of salvation. That was for them. Today we have a new covenant set before us. He informs us of both sides and He waits for us to make a decision. He presents the new covenant to us. Make a choice. Decide. Our faith in the stated provisions of this covenant will be demonstrated by our obedience to just like in all the other covenants. 
My pastor, a long time ago, gave a, a, a message on a topic, and he used this analogy. You're riding in an aircraft, an airplane, flying at 50,000 feet. And you know, you know that this plane is going down. You know that. And so, you grab a parachute, and you strap it on. And you get ready, because it's going down. Not only that, but you're trying to tell people, this plane is going down. You need to grab a parachute. A few of them believe you. Oh, oh, okay. They put the parachute on. Most of them, they're like, I've flown, I've flown this route a hundred times. We're fine. Or they're mocking you because that parachute is big and heavy and it looks silly. Why would you be wearing a parachute? Really good aircraft. <clears throat> I've been asked that before. <laughs> But, but people have all kinds of reactions. Those that believe the plane is going down are going to strap on a parachute. And all the mocking and all the laughing and all the ridicule isn't going to matter anymore when the engine blows and it starts dropping. Because, folks, this plane is going down. It's going down fast. And when it does... You're going to want that parachute strapped on. You're going to want it strapped on tight. And everyone around you, you're going to want them to have a parachute on as well. That parachute is heavy, and it's bulky, and it's ugly, and it doesn't look very cool. But it's going to be life when the time comes to use it. Concerning the new covenant that God gives us, we don't have the power to line item veto. So don't live as if you do. We can't pick and choose what the scriptures say. We can't throw this out, I'm going to keep that, I'll decide that later. Yes, yes, no, that's, that's not going to work. We don't have the authority to do that. We have, the, we have the authority to say yes, and we have the authority to say no to all of it. If you say yes, you're saying yes to every bit of it. If you say no, you're saying no to all of it. Sister DeMuth, if you'd show that first slide, please. That looks cool, doesn't it? That, as I see it, represents the church in the Western world today. We see a bunch of people on the far white side. We see some people on the far black side. And a bunch of people mixed up in the middle. A very homogenous group. People coming to church, enjoying the presence of God, worshiping God. Some are actually living for God. Some are actually seeking to serve God with their lives. Some are very nominal Christians, whatever that means. They come to church, and that's about it. A whole bunch of different positions, different beliefs, different ideas of what I need to do and what I don't need to do. And we've been able to do that because life in the Western culture, is pretty easy. There's not a whole lot of problems. We'll have some financial difficulties. We're going to lose loved ones. And those are difficult, to be sure. But our faith has never really been tested or challenged. Next slide. As we progress, though, this culture being the way it is, our churches are going to become less homogenized. Last slide until we get to the point where it's going to be all or nothing. And that's going to be because, well, let me put it this way. 
When you become a Christian in a Muslim country, do you think that the churches over there have to deal with the same things we deal with here? Because when, a, when someone in the Muslim country says yes to Jesus Christ, they're saying yes to all of it. They understand that as soon as I start doing this, my life is on the line from this point forward. I can die, I can literally die by saying yes to this. And so they live according to that. They live like that. This is, this is what I'm doing now. They're all in. They don't struggle coming to church. Eh, I'm not feeling like coming to church today. I'll come next time. Eh, I'm not feeling like... They don't deal with that. And they're having revival. Those churches are growing. They make the choice and they they act like they've made the choice. We haven't had to by and large in this country. We we just haven't had to. We haven't been forced into a situation like that. But it's coming. Everything that we can see, everything everything that it's coming, yeah. If, it's, if it can be shaken, it's going to be. And a lot of those wishy-washies, they're going to have to make a choice. They're not going to be able to live like that anymore. They're going to have to make a choice. I'm all in or I'm gone. That's coming. When God presents that covenant to us, the new covenant, This is the kind of choice we're talking about. And we're not exaggerating, and we're not downplaying. This is just the way it is. As plain and as transparent as we can make it. As God can make it. When we choose Jesus Christ, we say no to the world. When we choose to live for God, we say no to all other options. He's our God now. He's the one that we serve now. No one else. No thing else. That's what it means to live for God. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the scriptural, biblical example that we've been given. Being a Christian doesn't mean I come to church when I feel like it. I'll pay my tithes when I have them. And praise the Lord. I'm enjoying the presence of Jesus. I'm glad you are. I'm glad you're paying tithes when you feel like you have them. I'm glad you're at least at that point. But decision time is coming. And it's going to be coming sooner probably than we think. My recommendation, make it today. Decide today. And then live according to it. People in this world are searching for what we have. There are a lot of people out there that would make this decision if it were presented to them. I know that we don't think that way. And typically when we talk to someone, we catch them off guard. We catch them at a bad time. And they don't seem interested. They seem distracted. But I promise you, I was one of those people. Some of you were one of those people. When I laid my head down in bed at night, I was wanting to know if there was anything more. Everyone that looked at me thought I had it all together. There's no way I'd be interested. The guy that finally brought me told me that. I had no intention of talking to you. You didn't look like you needed God. 
I was looking for God. I was going to other churches looking for God. <clears throat> everybody, everybody that's ever been created knows that there is a God. They know that instinctively. They suppress it. They deny it. But they know it nonetheless. They're looking for what we have. They need a parachute too. They need life too. Amen. Let's all stand. This is the most important decision anyone could ever make. The most important decision. It will affect the rest of your life down on earth, and it will affect your eternity. No one decision is going to do that but this. When you make the decision, own it. Own it. God wants you to serve Him. God wants you to choose life. We want you to choose life. But that means going all in. That means holding nothing back. That means giving everything to Him. We have nothing left in the world anymore. makes witnessing a whole lot easier when people can see that big, fat, ugly parachute on your back. <laughs> when we dedicate our lives to serving Jesus in that capacity, they will see Him in us. They will hear His words when we speak. They will feel His presence when we're with them. God will minister to them. God will lead them, draw them with cords of love to a place of repentance. God will work in their lives. They're probably going to deny it. They're probably going to suppress it. For all kinds of reasons. I can think of five just off the top of my head. Not a lot of trust out there. And this seems too good to be true. But it's true. And it's exactly what they need. Amen. Make the choice. Make the decision. Serve Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. Thank you, Lord, for your manifest presence in this place. I pray, O oh God, that if there is anyone within the sound of my voice that has not yet made the choice, that has not yet made the decision to serve you, I pray that they would make up their minds now, today, in this place, to serve you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to pursue hard after you with everything in them, with all their strength, with all their intellect, with all their desire, to pursue after you. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I pray that you'd make us effective in serving you, make us effective in ministry. Help us, Lord, to conform to your image. Bless the remainder of our service. Let your will be accomplished. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for...